Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Jessica Jones Podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey there, Matthew. Long-time caller, first-time listener. Jessica Jones, episode 103, a.k.a. It's Called Whiskey, going pro bono this episode. Um, we're sponsoring the Charity for Women with Broken Doors. This will be held at the Balloon Saloon. Pay us, get key. Well, Pete, that sounds delightful. and just want to thank everybody who has left us reviews on iTunes. want to uh, remind those people as well as future iTunes reviewers that we will be having a, a little contest related to those iTunes reviews in episodes four, five, and six. So certainly uh, make sure you are listening uh, later in the episode for more information. It's time for some surveillance. What did we see in the episode, Pete? Picking up immediately from the events of last episode, buzzsaw drops, shirts rip, hands grabbing, showing strength here. Maybe the uh, most brutal physically uh, sex scene you have ever seen on TV. Pete, it certainly uh, moves from kind of denying and sexual to quickly more sexual. And then, well, Pete, is that is that pipe bent or are you happy to see me? And it just gets more yowza. And this time it's not clumsy and awkward. It's just Pete had me wondering if maybe it was time for me to start smoking the cigarettes because <laughs> boy, I mean oh boy. Windows are breaking. Um, when uh, Jessica put her hand on the beam, I was getting half worried they were going to rip the building in half. Uh, it, it certainly takes the phrase earth shattering to all new levels. And then we get the nice uh, pan away there, the direction of the fragile box on the, uh, the door there. Pete, fragile, no more, certainly. Yeah, and... Um, Robin uh, says they're too loud. Indeed, the the as of yet unnamed male fraternal twin from the sixth floor. Uh, he's been watching for a little while. I think we're supposed to wonder exactly for for how long. But he does say uh, Robin says to knock it off. With that, Pete, we move on to uh, post coital snacky time, where it's time for some admissions. Yeah, and the thing that Luke uh, admires about uh, Jessica is that it's nice to be with a girl who eats like she does. Um, and she comes out with the admission that she had never done it with a guy with gifts. And uh, he's not quite sure, though, how gifted he is. Um, he has never been able to measure how unbreakable he is. The idea of biting an extremity here is floated. Like, we're really pushing the envelope for Marvel and Netflix in general with uh, the subject matter. But you know what? It's pretty deftly handled. It's punchy, and it keeps moving. Well, not to, not to put too fine a point on it. So these are two people doing a thing, a human thing, and uh, presumably at least after... Eating is a human thing <laughs> this is true um 
Well, and, and some other things. Yeah, certainly, certainly they're doing the human thing of eating. And given Pete that these are two people that since their since their powers first manifested, they haven't been able to express themselves fully with another uh, snuggle time friend. Um, you can kind of, I don't know, the, the 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 flirtiness while on the edge of of the sword here. Uh, it certainly is appropriate uh, given these two characters. And throwing around their various abilities, you know, Luke wants to know what she can do. Can you fly? She teases that she could jump, and then it's kind of managing the falling. You mean like leaping over a tall building with a, well, you know. Yeah. And then, um, you know, he talks about how it's it's you, it's me, it's the big green dude and his crew. Um, Pete, it's awesome that they made reference to Arrow. Yeah. Do you think there are uh, there more of their kind out there? Uh, and she says she knows there's somebody else like us, but he's not like us. Asked if she was born that way. We get uh, that it was an accident for Jessica Jones. So a connection there to Daredevil, that it was an experiment for Luke Cage. And of course, we will learn more about it. That is his comic backstory. We will get more about that, of course, in his uh, show coming 2016. And even if they weren't going to explore that in the show, if you just look at this episode in the vacuum of itself or in the vacuum of, of this season, it's kind of all you need to do. Hers, accident. His, experiment. Just enough to say, hey, it came from somewhere. It's kind of wacky. You know, it's it's something where they don't need to have done this backstory. Now, the fact that it's part of a larger storyline and, and you'll be able to see more of, of his story, it all works. But it also just works by itself, which is uh, which is rare when you're planning all this stuff out to be interconnected. Asked if anybody else knows. Uh, Jessica mentions that there's a couple she's not hiding, but as she also says, she's not advertising. And I thought what Luke said was very interesting. And given the character's ethnicity, obviously has larger meaning. He says, when people know, they either come with a noose or with their hands out. And uh, that he has no use for either. That he protects himself and what is his. And uh, he said that he finds that a hero puts a target on your back. Jessica has been there. She's done that. Luke is holding out for a costume. Does she have one? Well, Pete, she doesn't answer that. And certainly it's in the comic backstory that she had tried the hero thing and it didn't work out. That's what had initially in the comics propelled her to Hell's Kitchen to become a private investigator. For a split second, I was kind of saying to myself, well, wait, a costume, you know, this this seems like they're kind of shoehorning in uh, the past here. That said, it just took me a moment to remind myself, they've had heroes like this since 2008. That is, if you kind of exclude Captain America in terms of, oh, he was this 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 affect of World War II and then went, dis- meant, you know, disappeared, went missing something. Um but it's 2008, the appearance of Iron Man in in their chronology as well as ours. So it certainly is possible that in the time that has transpired since then, that she tried the hero thing. She tried the costume thing and it had its little blip and and, and we're on to something else now. Well, Matt, more? Uh, if you're talking about 
discussion about this quality scene where they're eating food. Absolutely. <laughs> um, you know, I I like that they they don't beat around the bush here. They weren't talking about food. They go right back to it. Um, the two of them snap the bed frame. But moving the story forward, she winds up in the bathroom. Jessica does again. She goes into the cabinet. She sees the photo. There's a quick flashback of Reva Connors uh, moving away from the uh, vantage point of the camera. And then Luke is right there to close it. Quickly explain she died. Bus crash. And Pete, certainly what a small world it is. Uh, we're starting to tie things together. Obviously, more of that in the episode. And that's when you start to say, oh, maybe that's why Jessica has been keeping an eye on him. And in an episode that I initially was not super fired up about, um, particularly in this first third, it's nice to see some of these uh, small details that are going to lead to a, a larger reveal later in the episode just being woven in. We'll use the word again so effortlessly, effortlessly um, that um, it's just like, oh, that's that woman that must have unfortunately died because of the thing. Nope, we're we're going to tighten up that world a little bit more later on. I have to say up front that this was my favorite of these first three. And um, just the way in which we're, we're starting to get this payoff that, you know, we had seen. Uh, discussion of the the bus crash and and the guilt there and the way it's really beautifully brought forward tragically in this episode um you know gives you what you want and you know a, a tighter turnaround in terms of stretching that out but uh jessica says she's sorry uh we're not fully clear on why we do know she was involved in what happened to reva connor's and uh, that she's got to go to work out on the street there, ultimately winding up in a bodega. And something that is carried throughout this episode is the idea of uh, both talk show, uh, you know, over the airwaves uh, broadcast, and then Matt over all of the waves in the inner tubes podcast throughout. Indeed, Pete, it's nice to hear her listening to New York's number one. You know, they're talking about how powered people are now an excuse. As you say, there she is shortly after that, after, uh, you know, trying to, to give the uh, bodega guy, a, you know, a hard time. And it's just, it's it's New York. You don't want to buy here, don't buy here. But yeah, then she's she's back in her apartment there. Pete, I knew I liked something about her. It's the fact that she's a podcast fan. So just want to say, Hi to Jessica Jones, our number one fan. Yes. The one gentleman from Westchester, the caller, said, you know, ever since those guys saved the city, people been making up stories about more super folk out there. Um, and between, you know, threatened to uh, no longer be able to buy the cheapest bourbon at this bodega, uh, the idea that hope is now being crucified over the airwaves you know, one guy says, you ever heard up a more uh, made up nickname than uh, Kilgrave? So, you know, beyond the tension that it creates in the immediacy with the, um, you know, the cashier, it's the idea that here is hope pretty much without defense publicly 
uh, Hogarth has just taken the case and there's the larger issue here. And Matt, I dare say, you know, people might be choosing sides and, and pick soon and, and maybe demand like that superheroes have to register all, all this. I feel like it's coming to a head somewhere and I don't think it's it's civilly. So Pete, you're describing some sort of internal strife amongst the 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 various uh, factions that might run into these marvelous heroes here. Yeah, it just it just feels like you know some of them want to work out in the open and and others you know not quite. Well, Pete, I know what there is no question about. It's that we're reminded again, uh, as Jessica's doing her research there, that it is Sufentanil that uh, she believes will be able to stop uh, Kilgrave, some area hospitals that might that might have it. And with that, Pete, list in hand, but uh, another priority to attend to, it's time for JJ to confront Jerry. Yeah, I did think the narration was important to mention here. You know, what if what if the devil actually did make you do it? And people are still discussing here. Um, you know, all right, we're going to blame somebody else. Son of Sam blames somebody else. I, I do like the, the mix of, you know, real cases with obviously the fictional Kilgrave case. But to put it now in the hands of this obviously – uh, esteemed Manhattan attorney who uh, she knows what the case requires and she doesn't have it yet. So um, telling Jessica that she can't barge in and then the idea that they're going to put Jessica on the stand to give her story, her testimony, okay, um, that Jessica says that it's Jerry that just likes to have something on her. Um, but it's the idea that her story is going to put her in the same place as hope that this city with enhanced powered special individuals, gifts, whatever we're euphemism we're going to use. This is a tinderbox and there remains fallout from the events of the battle of New York uh, this is certainly after the events of Daredevil, albeit they don't know that that is a, you know, powered individual or if we can even include him in that list necessarily, whether that applies to people who have had enhancements uh, a la, you know, Scarlet Witch or whether that's people like um, Inhumans who have had this activated, whatever it is. It's a pretty broad brush and we know increasingly there are more of them popping up and all of this is fodder not just on the talk radio but how do you make this now in a world where suddenly people are doing these superhuman uh things how do you bring this into a court of law it's a fascinating question to think about and it's a reminder that so much about this episode is about perspectives uh, Jessica is convinced, uh, as we are, the audience are, uh, you know, convinced that Hope is uh, not culpable for these crimes. Uh, Hogarth, however, is convinced that it's about winning the court case, which might be in, you know, six months or a year, at least in the way, you know, things things run in our world. I mean, I suspect it'll probably be wrapped up in these 13 episodes, but, 
you know, it's that last day of the court case when the jury delivers its its decision. That's what Hogarth is trying to win. She's less concerned about public opinion. And then when you look at it from the perspective of the public, this does sound like somebody who's just a nutball who shot two people and is blaming, literally blaming somebody else and their magic special powers. It's not even the obviousness of hey, I happen to have laser eyes and I laser eyed them. It's there's this other person that made me do it. It sounds 100% like a son of Sam type nutball situation. So again, all about perspectives. But that public perception and the accusation that uh, Jessica makes that Hogarth is a cheat and a coward. Um, but she's really one of her only allies at this point. And as uh, underwhelmed as she is with her sense of compassion towards hope, she knows that she's got to stick this out, although she's working some angles later in the episode. There is, Pete, a little bit of sense here that uh, in in her anger, Jessica is biting the hand that feeds her insofar as uh, Hogarth is the person most uh, apt to help hope. As uh, Jessica leaves Hogarth's office, she gets a text from Luke that he bought a new bed, you know, for stuff. And uh, we get the catch up here um, with Trish and the discussion there about the show because Jess been a poor friend. She catches up. They, they do lunch, which is a way for her to try to get her friend to put hope on there. Uh, but uh, mind control real? Mm, maybe not something necessarily for Triss's lifestyle show. And it's it's a wonderful time to give us a little more insight on that show that though Trish comes across as this uh, kind of upwardly mobile, thoughtful uh, you know interviewer, that's not exactly what she does. It's more in the flavor of a you know kind of a radio today show versus, uh, I don't know, 60 minutes. Um, and also, as this discussion is going on, we're starting to see some details. We're starting to see more security than one would normally uh, expect, particularly in a building with a with a doorman. Well, it's interesting that uh, Trish tells Jessica that she's got to back up her claims when it comes to her show. Yet we have not seen anything backed up to this point on why she requires the level of security and self-defense that she's really aspiring to. Um, it's the steel reinforcements. It's the windows. She's got a panic room now. And amidst all the discussion, you know, great line out of Jessica. Um, I really need to get some drugs. Um, the uh, mistaken idea that she's graduated from alcoholism, but needing to get her hands on the surgical anesthesia to knock out his powers, we're starting to see the idea with Trish, um, you know, and, and I dare say we get a little bit of a hint later in the episode when she runs into the fan as far as what might be going on. With the security, the mom is mentioned, but I'm thinking that might be a red herring. Indeed, and it's it's really a masterful and slow presentation here of all these different things, down to 
that the workout room was formerly Jessica's old bedroom. Right, um, right. And now Trish wants to be able to protect herself. Yeah, you know, and, and the word fortress is thrown around here. What are you afraid of? Except clowns, apparently not much. Now, Pete, given that she's so oftentimes alone in her apartment, would it be a fortress of solitude? I don't know what you're making these references, you know, for, to a disconnected universe that, that airs a show at the same time as the other show. I, I, I don't know. Well, I know what I do know, Pete, is that we cut to the hospital. Hey, it's Mrs. Dr. Something Hogarth, <laughs> who is going to be the future former Mrs. Dr. Something Hogarth as divorce is on the way. So that certainly moved along quickly. I didn't initially, even when Jerry's name was thrown out, connect it. And then, you know, it took the divorce angle. Oh, all right. This is the wife there. Um, to put it together, I don't know whether it was the lab coat. I don't know whether it was seeing her before, you know, outside of, uh, obviously her, uh, place of business in the hospital. Um, I like that Jess has a, um, you know, backstory association with Hogarth's, you know, soon to be ex here, um, and I like that she holds off, despite the fact that Jess is trying to work this angle to get the uh, Sufananil. Um, the uh, idea that she's, you know, got these virtues and she's not going to do it, and she instead writes her a uh, a prescription for an antipsychotic. It's it's a crazy world where they don't quite believe all of this is possible, despite the things they've seen, which. I dare say is probably pretty accurate. You know, I'm thinking even all the way back to Twilight Zone episodes where, oh, it's the to serve man people. And boy, they sure changed life quickly. But oh, we all gotten used to it. Hey, on to the, you know, on to the flying saucer to Lunchville. Um, I think we do adapt pretty quickly to this stuff. So the notion that you could say, I get that there's alien guys who come through portals. Okay. I get that there's suits that can make people fly. Okay. But a guy can control your mind with like his mind waves or something <laughs> like, come on, that's just that's not even remotely science. So you clearly have a problem. And when she can't get what she needs there, hood up, which I, I love as Jessica Jones code for I'm undercover, uh, you know, playing out in your head. OK, I knock out one clerk. It's cool. If we catch Kilgrave two, still all right. Three, four, depending on when the woman, uh, the pregnant woman is due. All right. But it takes a cop there to really stoke her conscience. A little bit of foreshadowing for later in the episode. Pete, she just needs to read Malcolm Gladwell's book Blink. If she had just gone for it when there was one person, problem solved. You sit and you dilly dally. And what happens is you have four people, one of which is pregnant, plus a security guard. That's just life. It's just life. <laughs> well, speaking of Malcolm, or as he's referred to by the bicyclist, he got in the way of, in the next scene, Requiem for a Dream, which was great. <laughs> um, you know, this uh, self-medicating uh, Moran who uh, gets in the way, uh, at just the right times, it seems. 
it's such an intriguing dangling thread uh malcolm is uh, in terms of his contribution to the story i mean what's the function of this scene it's a reminder that he's an addict okay it's going to set up using his addicted state to help get jessica what she wants but it's it's just this fascinating mystery to this character at least for me pete at least for me i know that you already have seen some scripts for season (laughs) season two um but i I have no idea where they're headed with old malcolm and it's the great mix of the Kristen ritter sarcasm here you know all right you're gonna you're going to ride your bike and save the planet. Good. I'm going to throw you. By the way, it's Pilates. Okay. You go back to saving the planet. And I love Malcolm's response. You're a good person, Jessica Jones. And hers, you're high. <laughs> <laughs> With that, showing how this program can take small, interesting characters. It just adds such such wonderful nuance, even in, if there's not a larger connection. We cut to Jessica talking to do to two door repairmen. It's a Portuguese, Portuguese. Yes. Yeah. Just this Portuguese father and son. And it's just it's just fantastic how you take the time to have the father speak in Portuguese and then the son to translate. And all just to get the darn door installed. It's fantastic. And Coming on the heels of that, that Trish calls, that they've set up an interview for tomorrow, that Jerry's a force of nature. Oh, wait, what's going on? We're going to interview Hope from prison. And now the idea that he'll be listening, that Kilgrave will uh, potentially be exposed to this. And we know of his far-reaching effect, that this could draw him out before Jess has what she needs to take him down pete there's also a reference to them doing a remote interview and as somebody who has uh has a little technical experience with uh with putting on a program i was like oh i can't wait to see how they do a, a remote interview so let's just stick a pin in that for a second to see what to see what kind of knowledge we can glean from from radio professionals here let's see what a remote interview is like in a couple scenes we get another quick flashback to Reba, though, between, you know, Trish wanting to help um, with the interview with Hope. So obviously all of these concepts are connected in Jessica's mind. Back at the bar, um, she apologizes for having taken off the other night and he comes right to it, you know, and brought up the dead wife. Um, and obviously that flashback still weighing heavy in our thoughts but uh she wants to know if he knows any drug dealers owning a bar in hell's kitchen hmm (laughs) great great line there just an admission that even though we're not really kind of pushing you know strife in hell's kitchen you know early 1990s late 1980s new york has come to hell's kitchen we're not kind of pushing that um but it's Hell's Kitchen, man. Of course he knows drug dealers. And uh, she didn't want to do it over the phone, you know, NSA and all. <laughs> <laughs> With that, Pete, third time in the old roll of a hay, I guess uh, he is super powered. Sweet Christmas, I think. <laughs> uh, he then tells her to say what she has not said since they met. And Pete, I love the line that they walk. You know, she's obviously not going to open up and say what is completely on her mind um she'll kind of dance around it but he asks if it's a racial thing 
but then plays it off as a joke. Then he asked if it is, and it's serious. And I don't know. I just love Pete that they're not kind of going the metaphorical route completely. You know, right. oh, he's he's different because of his powers, because we live in a colorblind society. And we were not going to see differences. So it's all a metaphor. Like it could just be, hey, I am a black male in the 21st century America. This is a thing. And I like that they kind of confront it uh, head on. Yeah, that they could acknowledge the elephant in the room, but not make the discussion about it. There's the dramatic irony. We are aware that she was more than involved in the death of this man's uh, wife. But they've, you know, begun this rather torrid romance here. And to have the discussion bringing in the racial angle you can't ignore it there are differences between the two people but not to make the discussion all about it the heavier aspect is is what happened to this man's wife and whether or not jessica is going to spill at this moment in this episode in this series what took place and i think it's so interesting pete how what transpires next it's all posed with hypothetical what ifs um you know what if uh, there was someone else out there who had this ability to make people do what he wanted what if it wasn't like mind control what what if it was exactly mind control and it's just proof that even after they there's been growth between the two of them she's reluctant to share too much but pete from not sharing too much emotionally to uh well pete then they're at it again and it's those superpowers pete yeah, uh, it's their superpowers, all right, it says the man with the unbreakable skin. But uh, we come back to Hope, who is now on the radio going through the last time she spoke with her mother, other than the night she was rescued and murdered them. Um, and uh, that she was made to call on her mother's birthday so that she didn't worry her parents. And she describes the effect like an echo that she just felt this need to do this and uh, that she was not aware at first she was being controlled, um, but she just wasn't strong enough. She fought so hard here. And Trish asks the very important question, did you want to shoot them? And of course she didn't, but it was because Kilgrave wanted her to do this that this happens. And Hogarth, proving to be as shrewd as we all expect that she is, she comes right out and she says, as you can see, my client's delusion is fully formed. Now, Pete, I don't mean to take away from the emotional poignancy of this episode, but uh, their remote interview is Jerry holding an iPhone on speakerphone. Just just throwing it out there. I would have thought there was a little bit more, a little bit more to it. it it's kind of like... It's like finding out Superman is held up by by wires. It's a little, it's a little, little deflating. Just saying, maybe, maybe, I mean, I'm, maybe listen, I'm missing the emotional point, poignancy there. Just too much. Listen, Matt, we've interviewed Clark Gregg over Skype and Ming Na over Ming Na went over an iPhone. So stranger things have happened. Speaking of stranger things have happened, uh, Trish comes back and says, "You know, is this really so impossible?" I assume she's talking about the the delusion being real not that they're doing a remote with an iphone on speakerphone well the mind um, control with the concept that the city's been attacked by aliens 
that, uh, you know, everything in their world has been questioned. And obviously she knows secondhand, possibly even first, it's not quite clear what her involvement was earlier with Jessica and Kilgrave about his powers. With that, Pete, they go to the phone line, and you know what's the difference between New York's number one and uh, Trish Talk is that you can call in right away and be second in the old uh, the old shoot there. Because Pete, darned if the second caller, well, that sounds like Kilgrave. Well, I think the thing we can't brush off is that Jessica, for the need to protect her friend, assured that. Kilgrave is listening, breaks into the booth, smashes the one mic, and uh, she's concerned that this is going to get her hurt, that he's going to hear this. You know, Trish had gone into Oedipal issues and all sorts of other references to impudence and, and things like this. Obviously, you know, poking the, uh, the bee's nest. And what do you know? We get a really polite British guy who calls up and uh, applauds her coverage, but says that, uh, of course, it's uh, self-preservation be damned that uh, he is saying she should worry that anyone anywhere, uh, you know, could be controlled. And uh, if you insult this wildly dangerous man who's, as you say, sadistically corrosive, Something's going to happen. Maybe he'll even make you kill yourself. It's it's an effective moment. Uh, it certainly helps puff up Kilgrave as the villain. If uh, if he already wasn't puffed up enough, you kind of get the sense here of the 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 spider playing with the fly caught in the web. Um, there is, of course, in this scene the kind of necessary intercutting between Hope and Jerry listening to Trish and JJ, and they're all listening and talking to him and interacting and whatnot. Um, but certainly the the messages across to the four of them, maybe asterisk, maybe not Jerry completely, but that uh, you know Kilgrave is out there. Kilgrave has taken notice, and uh, there will be consequences. Well, good thing that she's building this fortress here is what Jessica has to say, and then we're no sooner in the uh, the breezeway there on the way out of WNEX and uh, a man with flowers is saying Patsy Walker and uh, boom, he's down on the ground here. And he's clearly a fan of hers, a fan of the past, uh, you know, of her past rather. Um, I don't want to, having not seen future episodes, but knowing a bit about the, the genesis of the show separate from the comics and the history of the comic character, I don't want to be too spoilery, uh, spoilery here, but certainly the notion that she has a past and has a bit of a of a pop culture following, um, certainly quite referential, given that the the character has a lengthy comics history. And the you know dialogue reference, you know, I miss your red hair by the man who's just been brought to his knees. Indeed, it's uh, it's reference on top of reference, and with that, Pete. They, uh, they, the two of them, Jessica and, uh, and Trish, uh, dropped Trish off at her apartment. And uh, darned if uh, Jessica doesn't head back to her office, thereby separating the two. Yeah, but, you know, when we live in a world, Matt, and you write in a world where there are apps that can locate you, 
um, that's how you deal. Even though Jess, uh, you know, copes with whiskey, there's always a technological answer here. And uh, as Jess is trying to run down Dr. Kuroda to see if she could possibly get her hands on these powerful surgical anesthesias, uh, you know, of the chemistry department or of the biology department or maybe biochemistry, Matt, it's just science. It is Pete. She finds out that Dr. Karata has gone from teaching a college class in New York to India um, because clearly he's clearly he's on the run. Nobody works harder, even abroad on vacation. So true. And Pete, I love the little story affect here that admits this uh, search for Karata and this phone call and whatnot. She, Jessica, has uh, found her door is fixed, yet it's locked. It's locked because you got to pay up to get the key. Yes. Um, so she breaks in to her own apartment slash office yet again. Um, and it's at this point that we run into Malcolm. Uh, being walked down the hallway by the still unnamed <laughs> uh, brother of uh, Robin. I'd like to call uh, him Slow Silver because he <laughs> seems a little slow, and his sister has red hair. Wow! Is she she is she she's not exactly a Scarlet Witch, but she <laughs> is kind of witchy, and she does turn Scarlet uh, quite easily. Hopefully, she doesn't live in apartment twenty three. But um, Malcolm had broken into their apartment by mistake that the elevator took him too high. No, you're too high. Robin was asleep in the other room. He was playing with his beetle collection. Malcolm was eating peanut butter. Uh, none of these are metaphors, by the way. No, not at all. So Robin was scared. Um, you know, it's, it's broad daylight, Jessica mentions, but the admission that they have foil on their windows, what is going on with this brother and sister? Pete, this whole scene just glistens of crappy gold. Um, <laughs> there are these fantastic lines, you know, Mal uh, Malcolm was hit by a little man, a uh, trophy with a little man. And, uh, it can be scary if you don't know him and you're a little racist, then the brother adds, everyone's a little racist. Pete, I love this repulsive character. It's this is this is I, I don't know. He adds just such wonderful, awful flavor to it. It's like it, it it's like I don't know. It's like putting pop rocks on ice cream. Well, we're gonna return to him and them for sure in our cryptology segments with some theorizing. But uh you know, having struck Malcolm with a uh, a, a little woman trophy, <laughs> uh, and yeah, the the racist angle, which I I think is certainly pregnant with uh, potential as far as how far we're going to take that racism. Um, we get the idea to bring Malcolm to the hospital. He's the distraction that we need. So Matt, the hood goes up. Indeed, and I just want to add tangentially that I don't, I don't buy what the episode is selling. There are no little women trophies. Okay, all women are important and 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 equal. All all lady trophies are equal. But sure enough, Pete, Jessica is going to take him to the hospital so he can stumble over someone and cause a scene. 
And it's not clear that that's her plan from the get-go. And it's smart writing that that is the case because we think less of her having used him and his addiction and his, at the very least, his, his you know, uh, affected state uh, to advance her own purposes when not for nothing, maybe dude needs to like go to a methadone clinic or there's got to be some kind of program to, to get him off the junk. Having taken what she needs, it's the slow-mo eyes meeting as he's being tended to and she's leaving that really sells that scene. Do you realize, Pete, that he's been in this show more than <laughs> David Tennant? Scene-stealing like just... Ika Darville, indeed. Indeed. And, Pete, it was around this time when I was watching the episode and I said hey, we haven't seen Will Travail in this. <laughs> Cut to Trish getting an offer, getting a visit from Officer Simpson, played by Will Travail. Yes, uh, the doorbell here, and then um, the subject of the alleged assault here outside of WNEX. Uh, the ID official, of course, through the touch camera on the... Uh, on the door there, spare no expense when you've got a number one radio program and uh, you're in the biggest city in the world. So the ID checks well, out. Not, um, not actually the biggest city in the world, but well, Pete, regardless of what the largest city in the world is, I know that there are about to be some big, big hits here in what ends up being one heck of a fight scene between Simpson, Officer Simpson and Trish. Yeah. They try to sell you that it's not going to go that way, and and you believe it. And the moment that she opens the door, she had a baton or something that I never got another clear look at, um, that she was at least guarded. And, um, yeah, we get a pretty brutal fight scene that ultimately results in her being choked uh, pretty severely. But Jessica is there to bail her out for all Trisha's talk about you know, not having her battles fought for here. Had Jessica not intervened, she would have been dead from this cop under Kilgrave's command. Pete, I felt that this portion of the story was a tad kind of um, A leads to B leads to C leads to D. You know, he finally gets the better of Trish. So who's there to save the day? The hero saves the day. And but what, the great wrinkle, okay, that she appears to be dead and that she runs with it and then we see the needle and then it it's, you know, the human toll and only somebody who has tangled with Kilgrave as Jessica has can navigate this idea that I've got to, one, defend my friend and two, get this man this policeman no less out from under his spell by making him think he's done what he needs to do here pete i'll mention at this point something that i know we said during the daredevil podcast but i think it's worth it, it, it it's worth a moment of commendation which is part of this show's costs are subsidized by tax grants and so on and so forth in new york city and new york state you know, kind of the film, you know, to, to, to bring film production, film and TV production to the area and create jobs and so forth. The fact that they clearly keep that separate from having a cop who's doing bad things. Now, we know why he's doing bad things. And it's not really Officer Simpson doing it. It's Kilgrave. 
I think it just deserves a little tip to the hat that they're not kind of squelching storylines that that might dare show uh, New York City in anything less than a perfect light. I think they had to be really guarded about that because you run the risk of the criticism. All right, you're you're buddy buddy with the city of New York. They're closing down streets and and blocks and you're not addressing the aspect in a gritty comic universe of corruption or, or things like that. And, and Daredevil handled it in a, in a stark and, and I think fair and most of all story serving way. And it's the same way here. So I think those kudos again are well earned, but with him having think, having thought rather that he uh, has taken care of Trish um, tracking him, you know, Jessica makes the quick plant with the phone, with the app on it, uh, heads up thinking for sure. And, uh, tracking him back to, it's unclear that this is the same family we saw Kilgrave hole up with before. And I, I thought that the phone bit was a good, it was a good use. It certainly is, you know, it's the modern tools that we all have, the fact that she's connected to it by way of like an ongoing phone call, to me there was just this slight kind of disjointedness. Like, wouldn't he kind of be aware of feeling it in his jacket? I mean, I guess you can you, you can sweep a lot under the notion of he is this brainwashed semi-automaton. So if he's just, you know, I must go and report back, he's not going to maybe, you know, be in full, you know, patrolman, future detective, maybe kind of mode. But it, bottom line is it works for the story. It's a quick, easy, convenient way to to track him. And and it works. And here's the, the tension building, which <clears throat> through the subsequent fight continues Kilgrave is kicking back as any good Englishman watching a football game. That's uh, soccer for you Americans. Um, you know, <laughs> giving a uh, redheaded player on the one team, probably not Manchester, a hard time. And um, yeah, I mean, inter intercut with him telling Simpson what to do and, and getting ready to uh, send him off of the top of this building real great shot matt of the uh the word stop written uh below on the street uh completely intentional it's 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 a it's a, a really interesting scene i was gonna say fun i don't mean it fun in a positive way but it's it's well constructed also fascinating location that they're at all this glass all this view of the outside uh, in a little bit, we kind of have this very contemporary staircase going through. It appears to be an older, an older building. Just you know, this is what you get when you're shooting in a real location, whether it's New York or anywhere else. You get these great finds, versus you know, if you just built this on a soundstage somewhere, it would just be you know a series of disjointed rooms across two sound stages. But Pete, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. I don't want to go down those stairs yet. We do have a flashback with Kilgrave telling Jessica to take care of her. Yeah, when their eyes lock after she's pulled Simpson back from the ledge the first time, um, we are treated's not the right word. We we get this and we get the full disclosure of what happens. She was told by Kilgrave to take care of her, and she punches Reba Connors more than across the street, and it's completely apparent that that was the blow that killed her that this bus stuff 
That's just window dressing. That was something to attempt to take Kilgrave out. And unfortunately, uh, she was lost and he was not. And it's also, it, it gives us some context to why Jessica was walking away that, that, somehow this act which i assume we're going to return to in the future and see a little bit more perhaps leading up to it um that that something shook jessica to the point that she was able to start to walk away despite being told not to uh by kilgrave and what i really get out of the you know return to that flashback from a couple different you know shall we say points in time is she's marked up there. She's got visible facial wounds here through the rest of this spacious apartment. She's ambushed by what she hopes is just a three person family um, continues to suffer cuts and scrapes. So this is not a completely impervious hero which I think makes it all the more grounded with what Marvel's going for here. I agree with the effect when it's all over, but to me, a lot of this couple of minutes set here of the story, I just kind of felt like it was, you know, it's, it's, um, I mean, we, we start with this great notion of, you know, uh, Simpson wakes up and is set to jump again and Kilgrave gives a little, little head nod and then she saves him again, knocking him out. Then we're going to have this and then she creeps along suspense, suspense, and there's a quick fight and then she creeps along again and there's a quick fight and then she creeps along again. And to me, it was just, it was a bit repetitive and I'm not quite sure what was achieved by having four people attack her and not three or two. Well, culminating in the, the whirring of a printer and to go in to the room there and see boxes and boxes of photos, a collage of her face, all these pictures taken at different vantage points at different places. Um, we get to one a little later at the end of the episode. We'll come back to that. She gets Simpson outside. She's broken the control here. And uh, in a in a manner of speaking, explains away what happens. But he comes back to having murdered or thinking he murdered uh, Trish. Yeah, it's kind of like a little, you know, aw shucks, Clark Kent kind of moment. You know, uh, gee whiz, Mr. Police Officer, uh, you fell and I caught you and we fell and I, I guess we're OK. Um, it's a fun little moment. It, I don't I don't know how kind of consciously referential it is to those uh superman stories of of old but it's it's the kind of thing that jessica must have told before the kind of lie that she must have spread before to explain away i mean my goodness we've seen it in this episode with you know it's pilates and things like that um with that though pete simpson is told to go home and uh, jessica goes to luke's apartment she says she did something and he says she looks like it yeah, the the one other thing I think it's important to mention, she had asked Simpson if he had taken the photos and he hasn't. So it's unclear at this point where those are coming from. But uh the the tension having uh you know subsided from the confrontation with that family and and missing Kilgrave as she has with the reveal of the pictures now it's, is she going to tell Luke 
that she killed the wife. And of course she does not, um, you know, that, that this might be over, but we know this is going to have to be addressed at some point, but she tells him that, uh, this is over. It isn't right. And he says that it feels right to him, but, uh, that she's been through too much uh, and he points out that people can't handle the dead wife, that she's got to do what you got to do. And with that, Pete, he shuts the door. And this seems like a likely place to end the episode. But I thought it was it was interesting that instead it continues for a bit. Uh, I think kind of almost from from here to the end, uh, it, it almost functions as uh, as an epilogue of sorts or kind of a, you know, a stinger act to propel us to, to next uh, to next time. Um, regardless though, we, we start this last little bit of story with her in self-loathing mode, walking once again, the streets of hell's kitchen. And we see that picture that she's holding of her taking pictures from the fire escape. So she's been under surveillance the entire time by who you'll just have to keep watching to see. What suspects draw our focus in this episode? Pete, let's start with Hogarth. I love the shrewd nature of getting Hope on the air there, of calling her client out to create a situation where, oh, we're going to get these people to call her office now who are also, uh, you know, having been under this type of spell or things like that, that it's, it's the best type of, advertising um i i just love what uh carrie ann moss has done in this role and you don't get her in in big gulps but what you get you're like i'm, I'm thirsty for more of this character there's there's a conniving way to her but it's never so over the top that it isn't in some way both beneficial serving hope and self-serving at the same time but not self-serving to the point where she's a clear ringer as a bad guy and we have to watch out for twists and yeah. turns. You know, Yes, there are villainous elements to the character in the comics, but clearly they've made changes. So I just love that there's this freedom where you know, it, 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 she, it can just be a mystery what she's up to until the end of the season when you say, oh, I knew it all along she's bad or, oh, she actually uh, is just a really, you know, kind of shrewd lawyer, crafty lawyer, and it worked. Uh, so t I suppose time will tell. We get our first full-on facial shot of Kilgrave. So three episodes in before we see David Tennant's face in real time, in real story time. And I love the dichotomy and we're playing around, of course, with the uh, heritage as an Englishman watching the soccer. At the same time, compelling a man he's controlling, a police officer, no less, to jump from a building. I I love to, perhaps best of all from this episode, uh, as referenced earlier, earlier, just that little nod where, you know, Officer Simpson's waking up. Little nod. You're going to have to do something about it. Um the, the 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 buoyance that most people usually associate with David Tennant is by and large gone here, at least the happy buoyance. And, uh, you know, there is just an attitude to Kilgrave that reminds us, hey, you know, David Tennant is more than his previous parts. He is an actor 
and uh, doing a fabulous job here. And then Officer Simpson here, who, you know, we, we think when we see a police officer at the door, especially in 2015 with a lot of the violence that, that's gone on, um, you know, with an ID that this is somebody who's who's there to protect. But in a world where there are supernatural things going on and the potential for anybody to be taken over by this nemesis in Kilgrave, that he barges in, that he very savagely beats uh, Trish before we fully understand he's under the control. I mean, we can make the assumption that he is. But, um, you know, it, it was a very effective scene and at the same time shows you she's not quite up to snuff with all the training, with all of the precautions she's taken. Indeed, her her reference in the last episode to to have the trainer, you know, go faster. I heard the click of the gun, et cetera, et cetera. Um, proof that uh, that she's not completely up to speed. And uh, I'm curious to see where things are headed with Officer Simpson. I mean, just by virtue of the fact that the actor uh, Will Travail is uh, is part of the main cast, um, tells us that we have lots more ahead of him. So I suppose uh, time will tell. Pete, as a side note, proof of the the variety in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe, they have James Gunn and Will Travail. Have Gunn, Will Travail. Oh, boy. Cryptology, where we uncover hidden messages and larger themes. How about, Matt, Jessica's accident? Is it too much to have the first two street-level heroes of Hell's Kitchen both having received their powers via an accident? Well, I'll, I'll answer indirectly. Uh, it is certainly logical that given that there's going to be a Luke Cage series and one that won't need to completely introduce him and his slice of life, um, that, that it would be logical to then fill his series with some of his backstory um she says uh accident uh, part of me almost wishes that they don't do a blessed thing more than that Did they just call it an accident well accident can mean a lot of things particularly if you are uh somebody who's uh you know a little sassy a little ironic um would it be a bit much i mean to answer your question directly pete if if she fell in the vat of the goo or had the the stuff and the mixture and the lightning. Uh, yes, I would say that that is a bit too far, given that we've seen a variety of that uh, for Daredevil. Um, I just hope it's a stone that they don't that they don't overturn. That they just say she is what she is. She's here, and uh, and we're looking forward, not backward. Is Jerry playing a much bigger game than just this case? I had been dismissive of this idea until you mentioned, I believe in the first podcast, hey, she's representing the stripper. And also somebody wants that strip club uh, parcel of land. Uh, I think it's impossible for her not to be interested in, in a whole multitude of things. I mean, my goodness, Pete, she's a lawyer. She doesn't work pro bono. You have to do what makes sense for the practice and for your record and all that stuff. Um, I think for them to tightly tie together this to 
the leftover of the Kingpin Empire from the previous series. Uh, I don't know that that's the direction to go. My bet would be uh, looking in the other direction, looking towards a future, perhaps yet uncast show. Pete, do you have any theories worth sharing? I do. Um, Robin's brother, who <laughs> can't even name the character, hasn't been spoken on screen yet, mentioned that their um, their windows are covered with foil. Uh, he mentioned the little, everybody's a little bit of racism. Matt, are they some kind of like anti-inhuman family have they foiled up the windows so the the radiation doesn't change them are they anti superhero is this going to or powered people is this going to create further tension i think that that that's a, that's a really interesting theory and there's potential to it the question is what does the story want to do with them um you know, do do they want to do something more with these characters, or are they ju- is it just kind of character shading and 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 weirdness and just wonderful on its own on its own odd merits? Um, there has been a reluctance for uh, certainly the Netflix shows thus far. I mean, I know it's not a huge sample size. We've only discussed fifteen episodes, uh, thirteen Daredevil and two. Uh, oh, pardon me, I guess it'd be sixteen including this episode of Jessica Jones, but they've kind of been reluctant to tie into the larger um, Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, even Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. has backed off that a bit, you know, from from its highest high of leading into and leading out of Captain America, the Winter Soldier. Um, my bet would be no, although it does occur to me, Pete, if you cover up all the light and you're in, a part, uh, in your apartment, it's kind of like a cave, Pete, we have a cave. We have Robin. This guy's kind of like a brat. Can we just call it Bratman and Robin? <laughs> Let's check our mail drop and hear what you have to say. Pete, we start with a comment on fantasticgeek.com from Handy Barker. He says, thanks for the podcast, guys. I can't wait to hear the rest of them. Uh, he mentions, I reviewed you in iTunes with a much longer review than necessary, but JJ brings a lot to the screen to comment on. So Pete, definitely look forward to seeing his iTunes, uh, iTunes comment. And I uh, want to thank Handy for uh, posting there on fantasticgeek.com. And ironically, his comment is either so new or iTunes is just taking its sweet old time with doing it, something we're familiar with when we put it up on the feed there doesn't always go right away. But we do have two new iTunes reviews. One of them is not yet from our man, uh, Handy Barker here. Um, The first is courtesy of Czech Movie Fiend. Um, And the headline here is my number one MCU podcast team five stars and it reads being a huge MCU fan. I like to listen to others who enjoy it as much as I, however, I also like some critical appraisal so that it's not just all fan gushing. That is my job. These guys are the perfect fit for that. I love the rest of their podcasts 
so much that I actually delayed binge-watching Jessica Jones just so I could have the analysis for each episode as close to when I watched them as possible. And that took real self-control, all caps. Seriously, if you are looking for a podcast on all things MCU, Matt and Spoiler Pete should be your go-to team. Oh, Matt, he called me the thing. <laughs> nice words indeed. And I must say I feel a tad guilty that uh, that we've delayed someone's viewing. Uh, certainly in a perfect world, you know, we'd, we'd be sitting in our, in our uh, giant Scrooge McDuck money bin and be able to, you know, podcast uh, every episode within the first week. But uh, unfortunately, if we want to keep that level of quality and live our Pete, it's it's like the rest of our lives. That's actually the secret identity, okay? <laughs> or or are we actually who we are here and the other thing. Anyhow, um, but well, uh, if you want that to happen, go to patreon.com forward slash fantastic geek <laughs> right now, and yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's that there's that too as well. But uh, certainly kind words there, uh, Pete, on iTunes. Our second review comes courtesy of Frost U with two O's, 18, five stars again. Uh, and the headline is the EIP Network. Excellence in, it cuts off, I want to say podcasting. Uh, but that's that's me just filling in blank because, uh, yeah, iTunes won't put the rest of the headline up here. Uh, it reads, I love the format that Matt and Peter have put together to review all of your favorite Marvel shows, a logical progression through the episode that is interlaced with insight, industry knowledge, humor, and fanboyisms. I especially like their production schedule as it is spaced out enough to allow me to binge watch and then rewatch an episode before listening to the podcast. This podcast is definitely worth your time. Thank you. Thank you, Frosty You and and here two reviews, they hit it. You know, you can watch this at any pace. You can you can binge it. You can go back to it. Uh, you can space it out. You know, there are some other podcasts that have, that have tackled Jessica Jones. Obviously, we feel we give you the best of all worlds. We're a little bit biased about it, but I think that uh, I think that our reviewers here are, are onto something, Matt. Pete, it's 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 a wonderful affirmation. I know ahead of Daredevil, you and I spent a lot of time talking about what would the best thing be for you know getting stuff to the audience as quickly as possible, but still keeping the quality. We ran some polls. We asked some people on on Twitter, you know, through DMs and so on and so forth. And uh, you know, again, in a perfect world, we'd have this all up and ready to go, but just. You know, the time it takes to watch an episode, to podcast an episode, and go on with the rest of life um, kind of does does preclude that. Um, I like that that the rewatchability uh, and the re-listenability has been, has been highlighted there because I know some of the podcasts that I enjoy most as, as a listener, you can just go back in any old time. So, uh, so thank you so much, Frosty You. Pete, just want to quickly mention again that... Uh, the wow my goodness then the next podcast episode uh all the people who have given itunes reviews and gotten in touch with uh with uh via email or twitter direct message just to say hey on itunes my name is such and such uh all those names are going to be thrown into a hat and we're going to pull out out of this bag 
uh, in episodes, podcast episodes four, five, and six, we're going to pull out a uh, limited edition uh, giveaway from New York Comic Con, a, a Jessica Jones one shot, kind of evocative of the uh, of the uh, Netflix universe. Uh, also, some Daredevil going on. There's in some there Daredevil too. in there. It's uh, it's uh, written by some of the Jessica Jones uh, creators, the two creators there, Brian Michael Bendis and uh, and uh, Michael Gatos. So um, it was a real neat thing to pick up at New York Comic Con. We look forward to sharing it with you. And uh, with that iTunes review, your name is in the running. And uh, as you can see from, uh, from Pete's description there, it does sometimes take a little while for an episode, or pardon me, for a review to get out. So all the more reason to get that in sooner than not. And uh, also, Pete, the yeah. spacing there across the three episodes lets iTunes kind of chug along while while we're chugging along, too. Indeed. But, Pete, the best chugging along experience on Twitter is, of course, uh, talking to you on Twitter. How could people do so? You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J. Ketelar, K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, 6,724 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I am personally on Twitter, as Looking Back Lost, you can be in touch with the podcast in a whole host of ways. We are Fantastic Geek. That's Fantastic with PH. You can catch us under that name on the .com, the Gmail, the Twitter. Also want to mention, before handing it off to you, Pete, the listener line, 732-707-1815. Let's hear your thought on the listener line, dear listener. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com forward slash Fantastic Geek. And as we stand, we're one like away from a milestone and like unlocking some kind of secret power. So help us get over that threshold there. And uh, who knows what could happen. Fun, fun, fun. Well, that Pete, I will say to our listeners in the United States, happy Thanksgiving, whether you're listening to this uh, the day before Thanksgiving, on Thanksgiving Day, maybe uh, maybe after it, or maybe at some indeterminate point in the future, nowhere near Thanksgiving. We are thankful that you are listening, and I will say adios to all our listeners and give you, Pete, the final word. <sighs> Sweet Christmas, I think. Mm-hmm.